Welcome back to Minnesota. I'm a moose, uh, and my name is Branson, and I'm here with my co-host, a Mountie, and his name is Ben. Ben, how you doing today, bud? Ah, uh, good there. Oh my <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, that, was not, that was not Minnesota. Yeah, it's, it's been a real cold week here uh, in uh, in Minnesota. The snow's just been blowing in real brutal, like, you betcha. It's, so, at you know, what point do I have to tell you that this movie takes place in North Dakota? Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, yep. you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. Yeah, well, it's... There's parts of it that take place in Minnesota. Is it? Was there? I think so. Now I'm kind of, like, curious. <laughs> Maybe I'm the idiot. Maybe Fargo's not in North Dakota. I'm Googling it right now. Fargo... Fargo is a reality-based crime drama set in Minnesota. <laughs> no way. Minneapolis. No, but it says Far- Fargo, North Fargo, Dakota. Fargo is where he meets the where he meets Carl and Grimsrud. Oh, is that so? That's where they start in the beginning of the film. I think so. Oh, okay, but the rest <laughs> is in Minneapolis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, don't I look like a jerk? <laughs> Welcome back to the Ben and Brancia movie podcast. You're going to hear a very cut up version of that because that was real sad. I, um, can I tell you? I let's keep it all in. I think we yes. keep it all in. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to the Ben and Brancia movie podcast. Uh, I'm Branson. He's Ben. Uh, this week we watched Fargo. Fargo. The original, um, 1996. Yeah, we didn't uh, watch Fargo. the four. We did not watch the four seasons of the TV show. <laughs> yeah, not yet. I might That's actually it. watch it at this point. You know um, what has Ewan McGregor playing twins in season three? Oh, uh, you sold I think me. He's, I think he's the detective and the murderer, which oh is like, I'm like, I'm so into that idea, if that's true. You and then, sold me. And then season four, because it's an anthology show. show. Mm-hmm. Wow, there was mm-hmm. the Minnesotan coming out there. Show. <laughs> it's an anthology but show. It's uh, Chris Rock is the detective. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm like, I definitely want to see it. Oh, okay. I'm definitely down to watch that show. Um, I have a watch this. I um, <laughs> My wife... Uh, I was watching this on the TV and she was like on her phone and I think she happened to look up uh, as a murder took place. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I think it was right after um, <laughs> Grimsrud shot somebody and she was like, why does Ben keep picking movies that are going to give me nightmares? You know, she texted me that same yeah. thing last night. <laughs> yeah. We t- I, I went through all the episodes that we've done so far and <laughs> the total was seven out of 10. <laughs> I love her. She and she fully recognized. She said, "I have a weak stomach," and I was like, "Yeah, we'll we'll do some we'll do some nicer movies for you at some point." But yes, uh, this week we did Fargo. Um, for your film historian, this was directed by the Coen Brothers. Uh, it's starring Francis McDormand, um, William H Macy, Peter Stormare, and or Stormare and Steve Buscemi. Uh, Budget was seven million, but it made a nice, cool sixty point six million in the box office. Not bad. Um, yeah, not bad at all. Uh, this one, the um, this one, Frances McDormand, the Oscar for Best Actress, and it won the Coen Brothers for Best Original Screenplay in yes, uh, in ninety six. Um, and currently, it sits at a ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it sits in the National Film Registry. Yet another. Yes. Uh, nfm 
uh, alum that we're covering here. What was the yes. first one that we covered? The first one we covered was, I think, Young Frankenstein made it in there. Was it? it Young if it's Frankenstein not, it should be. And Rear Window for sure. Yes, it was Rear Window. That's what it was. All right. So, yeah, this is Fargo. This was based on a, a true story of murder, deceit, and uh, Minnesotans. So this is where adorable. it gets interesting. I've heard that it's based on true events doesn't isn't actually true i've heard that you can say it's based on a true story without it actually being based on a true story oh so they've never actually come out and said if this was an actual murder or if this was kind of something they had heard in their towns they've always been very ambiguous with the truth of what this story is man i don't know if that makes me feel better or worse yeah you think someone can do that just go on the internet and tell lies but yes we are reviewing one of the most famous Coen Brothers films and one of the most beloved ones. Mm-hmm. And it's a very short movie at a hundred, little less than a hundred minutes. I think it's 96 minutes in total. Mm-hmm. Hour 38. Yeah, hour 38. So we're going to be talking about that this week. It, it it's, has an amazing cast with even more exceptional writing. And I'll just kind of get into my hill to die on real quick, yes. Branson. My hill to die on is what I love about this movie is how it develops its characters and how everything plays against type of what we've understood American crime stories to be. The mm-hmm. hero is the exact opposite of the rugged gruff detective that we've come uh, used to know. Mm-hmm. She is a down to earth sweet pregnant middle-aged woman mm-hmm. and that is her characteristics <laughs> in the movie and she's fantastic in that role you instantly feel for her you instantly mm-hmm. care for her uh and you instantly also know she's the smartest person in the room because unlike most criminal crime films you see all of the villains in this movie or bad guys are complete idiots yeah every one of them are yeah, as you say, incompetent. And that's what I love about this movie is how it takes that genre, flips it on its head, adds really dark humor to it, but also feels really realistic and grounded, but with this peculiar Coen Brothers feel of comedy and style to it that I think suits and makes this movie a definitely beloved one, an odd one, but an interesting film that is really unique you don't see films like this this i've never seen a film quite like fargo Mm -hmm. yeah um i would i would agree with that it's definitely a unique film um my hill for this week is that it's a great showcase of some really talented actors um i mean steve buscemi is just hilarious in everything he's got such a range in this one he's he's a crazy man um and I, I don't just say this because she won an Academy Award for this, but Frances McDermott is the top of the top of her class in this movie. She's just she's wonderful. Like like you said, Ben, um, you just she's immediately likable. Mm. She's just she's just funny, and her facial expressions and her delivery is great. Um, and this is a movie that you will probably enjoy more on a second viewing, which is I why I would love I'd love to see this movie again just so i can um 
you know, further appreciate it because there were on upon first watching, there were some scenes that I thought were a little bit superfluous. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd love to watch this again and and really see if I can analyze. Oh, that's why that scene's there. Yeah, and this is interesting that you bring that point up because this is my second viewing of the film. I saw this film too young. I think I was in tenth grade, so maybe sixteen. And mm. I remember liking it when I saw it, but I didn't fully understand it. A lot of the nuance of it didn't make sense. And the characters were too odd for me. And mm-hmm. the story was just too out there for me that I just didn't fully appreciate its eccentricities and why those eccentricities made it a really great film. Right. I, what I hear you saying is that you just hate Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, if anyone's listening in Minnesota, sorry, Ben hates you. I don't mind you. I don't yes. mind you. I, I, how into... do they even get internet? Like, it's probably <laughs> snowing there, so they so they won't hear this until like October. <laughs> you guys are gonna but... cut them on down to sunny Cali and download it. Oh gosh, this you're accent's here. gonna get. We're we're gonna <laughs> go full episode, aren't we, with this? Yeah, it's gonna yeah. just it's just gonna pop out, man. I can't oh, help my... it. It's fine. Um, yeah, I, I knew <laughs> I knew when I proposed this movie that this was going to happen, so I'm not even disappointed. It's just it's like, like the reality. A, a Tommy Wiseau, um, a Tommy Wiseau accent's just going to come out. You can't help yeah. it. It's compulsory. So I knew it was going to happen. Uh, I set the audience up for this, so I apologize and I take full responsibility. And you can forward your complaints to Branson's email. <laughs> So let's just get into Fargo real quick. And I'll just yes. kind of start it off first, second, third act. Uh, but let's just start it off at the very, very beginning when we are introduced to William H. Macy's character. And he meets the Chew Hitman, played by Steve Buscemi. And who is the other actor again, uh, Branson? Peter Peter Stormare. Yes, Peter Stormare. So we're introduced to these two things. And right off the bat, you talk about setting up characters so well that we did earlier with Francis McDormand. William H. Macy, you totally understand who this character is. He is just a loser. He is a downright pathetic man in every Mm -hmm. sense. He has no backbone. And he just is not a particularly... I'm not going to say he's a dumb guy, but the decisions he makes are so poorly conceived. Oh, absolutely. And... You get this right away with the writing. The fact that he talks way too much is a characteristic that is set up in the very first scene where he is giving personal information to Hitman. Now, I've never hired a Hitman <laughs> node or I plan on ever doing that. But That's I good. can tell you right away that I know that if you are talking to a criminal to get them to do a job for you, you do give as little information about yourself as you can. And this hey, guy gives... You. This guy gives his life story oh my goodness yeah literally (laughs) in the first scene he tells them that his wife's father is a multi-millionaire and they're gonna get like forty thousand dollars for the murder like that's already at the beginning you're just like this is a dumb idea (laughs) you're an idiot jerry um yeah, I, he's just like, I trust you. Here's my social security number. This is my blood type. This is my address. Just come in, make a sandwich, steal our jewelry. Um, I mean, I, there's a reason that the I think the most common line that uh, that Carl says to Jerry in this movie is, shut the F up, Jerry. Yeah. It's like, I, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> you really kind of, should. You really should just stop talking. 
And mm -hmm. this is our introduction to this character. Again, it's a great introduction. And it's a great introduction to these two hitman because you see their dynamic perfectly. Steve Buscemi is playing very much a Steve Buscemi role, which is great because you always love to see Steve Buscemi playing the loud, weird guy mm -hmm. uh, that <laughs> seems slightly dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that He's seems a little guy, slightly dangerous. Weird. That It works so well for him. And him going off the dynamic with Peter, they have this... You can tell they're not good friends and they don't work well together, which is, again, another issue just right off the bat where you're like, this seems like this, this is, will end bad. Yeah, this is going to go south very quickly. But, um, yeah, I, the it, the other thing in that scene that I love is the Cohen dialogue, the back yes. and forth. Um, another another director that does this really well, I think, is Quentin Tarantino. Um, yes, where there's there are these very funny, you know, shot reverse shot conversations between Carl and Grimsrud as they're as they're driving. And in this scene, there's the back and forth between Carl, Grimsrud and Jerry. Mm. Um, that's just that's funny. It's quippy. They're just cursing at one another. Well, um, <laughs> Carl's Buscemi's doing most, doing of, the most of the talking. Yeah, Buscemi, Buscemi does most of the talking and cursing, um, but it's. It's just a great um, it's just a great shot where the whole dingy bar and the car scene as they're going to Minnesota or as they're going to Minneapolis, it, they're just livened up by Buscemi's delivery and then hard cuts to um, Stormare's just like harsh Reaction stoicness. Yeah. And just, yeah. that sets up the beginning of the film really well. So I just want to go briefly into what the first act is about. William H. Macy's character essentially is this down on his luck businessman, car salesman who has an idea to buy a lot, a parking lot that he can get. If his wife's father invest in them, he can afford to buy the parking lot, make money, have like basically have a better life in his mind. So mm -hmm. he refuses because the dad's a jerk. The dad mm -hmm. is legitimately a jerk in every aspect. And so he comes up with this idea that if he fakes a kidnapping of his wife, then the father will pay a ransom for his daughter and he'll just give the hitman cuts of it and he'll get all the money that he needs to go. So it's a pretty foolish plan from the beginning and already you see a lot of flaws in this plan yeah, and, you're just wondering which way which way will this go poorly. Yes, because you know it's going to go poorly just based on who William H. Macy is at the beginning of the movie. You just feel like he's incompetent because he truly is incompetent. incompetent. And with that, what they, they do such a great job of demasculizing him in every aspect of his life. Like, <laughs> there's this idea of the man of the house, and that's not him at all. And it's not like even that his wife is the man of the house. It is literally like the father, the, sorry, his father-in-law steps all over him, has no regards. There's one great, you're talking about great Cohen lines. There's one where he's like, oh yeah, you don't want us all to like, uh, we want to have a good life and like be financially secure for the rest of our lives. And the father-in-law is like, oh yeah, don't worry. I have my daughter and, uh, her son or whatever and just leaves William H. Macy's character out of it and you're just like god this guy is the worst like he truly is the worst yeah but it's also just kind of deserved because Jerry Jerry's Jerry's a um he's a screw up 
Yes, he Kinda. is a screw up. And in fairness, maybe the father-in-law has a great sense of judge of character because this guy <laughs> is planning on uh, faking a kidnapping. Kidnapping is hiring two crazed hitmen to yes. kidnap his own wife. So there is obviously some automatic flaws with all these characters. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I actually want to clarify this. There is specifically flaws in all the male characters in this film. All the female are either kind, well-natured, mm-hmm. loving, decent people, or geniuses. That's like that's their characteristics for all the characters. They are all competent in this movie, and they are all the standouts because of who they are, and they all seem good people, and all the men in this film are generally just trash. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not I'd like say you... the only the only exception to that rule of women being the best characters is the uh ladies who keep getting with steve buscemi yes okay that's a fair point and the exception <laughs> also with the men is that francis mcdormand's husband seems to be a oh yes very loving husband but i mean generally the, the male characters that we spend the most amount of time with are just complete idiots yep. and no scene is better than this uh displayed in this than some of the comedy that comes from the Cohen brothers where you have a scene where a hitman is so concerned with the secondhand smoke that he is breathing <laughs> in the car. The fact that Steve Buscemi is concerned about smoke in the smoking in the car as a hitman, he's like, Oh yeah, it's going to end our lives quicker or whatever he says. And it's just like, that's what you're so concerned about. Like that's where the line's drawn for you. <laughs> I'll kidnap someone. I'll murder someone. I'll stand by you as you murder someone. But secondhand smoke? No, thank you, sir. Yeah. And Branson, do you want to real quick kind of explain the second act with the with the plan and what kind of happens there just briefly? Yes. So, um, you know, the, the plan's going great. They kidnap his wife. She uh, – they kidnap Jerry's wife. They She is, like, watching them approach the window – Mm-hmm. And just kind of look in with ski masks on and stuff. She doesn't really do anything until they break the window. And then she finally freaks out. She like reboots in that moment and is like, oh, I should scream. Um, so they kidnap her. Uh, they're driving along um, in a car that Jerry, as a car salesman, gave them. Um, still got dealer plates on so it doesn't have registration. They're pulled over by a Minnesota state trooper who... Uh, Grimsrud decides to just cap him in the head for yeah. for no little reason. real good reason. Yeah, um, and this is kind yeah. of if you were to describe that, this is where everything that you know is going to fall apart. It's the unraveling of just the stupidest plan in the world. Yeah, and that's what this, this is where film the crap is. hits the fan. Uh, there's a great point that I read online somewhere, but this film is really about greed versus contentment. And you see this really well illustrated in that scene you just described, Branson, because everything could have been avoided had the characters just been, like, less greedy about everything. Like, had William H. Macy just done the proper work for the car, gotten them, like, the license and registration, literally everything, had just been willing to not steal his employee's car, which, of course, that's going to go noticed eventually. Like, that's going to come out at some point that that's a bad thing. And then two, one of my favorite jokes in the line, it's so subtle, but it's great, is they have kidnapped this woman and are trying to stay low-key from the police. And he doesn't put tags on his car. He says, I never put tags on my car. 
And it's like, that's the stupidest thing. You're going to get pulled over eventually. Like, well, Yeah, why would then, you never put tags on your car? If I don't put tags on my car, I freak out. I'm like, oh, crap. Where are my tags? And Branson, do you know what his idea is next? He's like, oh, what if I bribe a cop for like $20 over tags? Do you know that's like at most maybe like a 1996, maybe like a max $500 offense? <laughs> like max. He's like, what if I bribe a cop for $20 while I have a woman kidnapped in the trunk? And he's, his only thought is, I'll tell her to be quiet or else. Yeah. That's the worst idea you've ever heard. <laughs> maybe I can't convince you to let me go without tags, but maybe my buddy Jackson here can. Yeah. It's, it's just Jackson like, on the 20, think, right? I'm, yeah, it's Jackson on the 20, and I'm yeah. pretty sure it's a $20 bill. <laughs> It's just such a bad idea. Oh, and that's boy. where you already know. Like, And then once the murder happens, Branson, I'll let you jump in here. Yeah. Because this once is where the, the film happens. gets shocking. Yes. Um, this is where the comedy is. It turns to like dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as Steve Buscemi gets out and is trying to move this now dead state trooper out of the way, another car comes by and they happen to see all this going on and Grimsrud immediately whips the car around and like drives toward this car that saw him. Uh, they end up skidding off the road and crashing and he mm. shoots both of the people in the car. Yes. Which is, yeah, poor state trooper. So now you have, yeah, now you have three bodies piled up for a crime that is going to net these hitman each about $40,000. And Again, you now know, like, this is not going to end well for anybody. And all these characters who are involved are obviously going to get caught. And before we get into the introduction of Margie, one aspect that I do want to bring in, it's another is just great little jokes and just great character moments, is when the father-in-law finds out about the kidnapping of his daughter. And he's like, oh, you know, they're offering a million dollars. He starts going full Rick from Pawn Stars and tries negotiating the ransom. (laughs) (laughs) Who negotiates a ransom? It's not even like he's like, that's not, he literally says a line close to like, what if a half a million or a quarter of a million? It's like, (laughs) you're negotiating right now with people who kidnapped your daughter? Both Jerry and the dude with him are like, no, we can't bar you with the, what are you doing? Yeah, he's like Jerry realizes how dumb that is. Yeah, it's just a great character moment because you see just his character, how terrible he is, and just this the world he exists in where he thinks this is an okay idea. Like obviously this is a guy who's never been told no Mm -hmm. in his life, to the fact that he could pitch that idea with confidence. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's offer them less. Yeah. Let's offer these crazy people that kidnap my daughter less money than they want. But yeah, so now we get introduced to Margie, Frances oh. McDormand's character, which is funny because for the main actress in the film that ends up winning Best Actress at the Oscars, we don't meet her character until 40 minutes out of the hour 40 runtime. So she comes mm-hmm. late into the film. But yeah. instantly, again, we talked about this earlier, but... She is a lovable character. She is pregnant. She does her job well. She has a good marriage. She represents the contentment. She she represents the contentment. Oh my gosh, contentment. <laughs> you got uh, it. Yeah. She, she represents that. And 
<laughs> she is so kind, happy where she is, mm-hmm. looking forward to this child that she's about to have and celebrating her husband over this small art project that he's doing that's going to get locally recognized in the newspaper i think is essentially yeah i that's think what he's the, going at the for. end of the at the end of the movie i think his artwork gets put on a stamp yeah which like is cool. that's that's what that's what excites her and that's what makes her happy is these little things so you instantly get the juxtaposition between these two groups of people her and uh we'll just call them the men of these film the four kind of idiots that revolving mm-hmm. around and yeah uh, Marge and Norm have so many moments that are just like so sweet and they break up the, you know, the kind of violent, um, <laughs> the violent tendencies that this movie has. Uh, like I, when Marge, when Margie's introduced, um, Norm, she wakes up really early and gets like a phone call about, uh, you know, the homicides happening. She's like, oh boy, well, I'll be coming in soon. Okay, yeah. you betcha. And then he's like, need to go to work and she's like oh yeah and he it, without even saying anything else he sits up and says i'll make you eggs yeah she's like nah i don't need it nah i'll make you eggs you gotta eat a breakfast so it's just it's just precious yeah it is truly a great relationship you instantly empathize for her and you you relate to her mm-hmm. yeah and- i the the only the only thing i wish was different about margie is that she were introduced sooner yeah, I agree. She does come in a little late for the film. It, that's always been my thing with her as the lead actress. It almost doesn't feel like she's a lead in the film. I guess she is because as a female actress, she is the one you put the most emphasis on. And mm. if Marlon Brando can win one for Godfather for main actress, sorry, main actor, that would be an interesting film. Oh. Main actress. Uh, but if he can win it for main actor and so can Hannibal Lecter uh anthony hopkins then i guess it does make sense that she can be nominated for lead and win it there but she does come in a little late for the film uh and we get this scene it keeps going and then the third act everything really just this is where everything falls apart there is this is the ineptness of the plan coming full circle and oh yeah i'll just kind of hit the big points uh points of this more people are murdered the father-in-law is now murdered because steve buscemi uh, he brought a bribe, brought, I think, less, and brought a gun to mm-hmm. the trade-off. Mm-hmm. So, and it, was, it wasn't Jerry. Yeah, and it so, wasn't Jerry who was supposed to be the one who drops it off. So they shoot each other. Steve Buscemi's character gets shot in the jaw. The, other, uh, the father-in-law gets killed. Then uh, Steve Buscemi has to escape, kills a few more people along the way finds out that there's a million dollars buries it hides it from his partner partner finds up uh and branson you want to tell us what what the partner decides to do to steve buscemi oh man um so uh yeah i as steve buscemi is like his character goes on this de-evolution arc which is just crazy at the beginning of the movie he's just really irked about killing people and then at the end he's just kind of killing indiscriminately like he kills Mm -hmm. a gate man he kills a gate person he just Um, starts killing at the end yeah he just starts killing um but um as he's um (laughs) he he gets back to the cabin where uh they're kind of hiding out with jerry's wife who is now dead right or was she just knocked out for some reason that we don't actually know exactly how it happens 
they get back and Jerry's wife is now just dead. And it's mm-hmm. implied that the the she partner screaming. Yeah. And it was just like, all right, I'll just kill our ransomy because now that's just another murder just piled up for some reason. Mm-hmm. For no reason. Um but uh the at least the T V edit the T V edit version of the quote that um the last thing that <laughs> that Steve Buscemi says <laughs> is quote I'm taking that funny car, you lousy pancake eater. Yes. I've been dealing with your phony baloney all week. And if you see your friend Shep, tell him I'll nail his fat tookus. Yes. What TV a way to go. edits are fantastic. Oh, that was gold. I was cracking up. I couldn't believe that that was a thing. So um, I what love hap- TV edits. What happens next is what we know is going to happen from the first second we meet Steve Buscemi's character. Mm-hmm. And it's, he, gets- he gets killed. Yeah, just in, in, in a, a very brutal gruesome fashion. way. Yeah, because we know his partner seems to be full on psychotic. Not to say that both of them aren't, but the partner definitely seems even more just like Grimsrud is far more psychotic. Yeah, and not only does he just shoot his partner to dispose of the body, he finds no, he hits a... him with a shovel. Sorry, you're right. He hits him with a shovel, and then to dispose of the body, he puts him in wood chipper. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one of those machines and you just oh, see steve buscemi's legs and the blood coming out and that's when francis mcdormand has been investigating the whole time uh, uh she finds it mm-hmm. and stops him essentially not not only stops him shoots him in the leg so he can't mm-hmm. get away which also again another scene that just shows how good of a cop she is because yeah. even in a moment of panic she knows to shoot low and mm-hmm. All she does is stop him. He's on the floor. She arrests him. All that. She shoots so, straight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I the uh, that whole reveal of the woodchepper is brilliantly placed and or bri- brilliantly plotted out. Um, there's no music. I she um, Margie approaches the the house where they're hiding out. She sees the stolen car, hmm. uh, and she gets out and slowly starts approaching the house. And you start hearing this quiet mechanical whirring yeah and when i was first watching this i was like is that something in my house what's going on mm-hmm. um and then as she's walking around there's no music it's totally quiet except for the crunch of her boots you see her nervous face she has some great facial expressions we'll talk a little bit more yeah. about margie or we'll talk a little bit more about francis but um she's walking around the building really slowly the whirring's getting louder and then the final reveal you just see Grimsrud shoving Steve Buscemi into a wood chipper. Yes. And, and you see the, the red all across the snow. It's just, it's It's gross. a shocking moment. Oh, it, it absolutely truly is. It's just like, you're just like, wow, this is crazy. And that kind of ends my thoughts on the film where I'll kind of mm-hmm. just close up with this before I let it. Jerry uh, gets arrested in. like a little baby man. Yeah. Full on just sobbing. Uh, Literally in his underpants trying to get out of there, just crying <laughs> his eyes out. It's a pathetic ending for a pathetic character. Yes. And my final thoughts before I let you jump in, Branson, for your final thoughts, is what I love about this movie is the simplicity of the story. Is It's a very simple story in its essence, but it is complicated not by the writing, but by the stupidity of these characters that are set up in the world. And we are told what will happen that because that is the beginning we are told what exactly is going to happen in this film the mm-hmm. idea of what is supposed to happen and you can guess how yes. awry it's going to go it, the simplicity of it is so simple 
that it goes so wrong so quick because, oh my gosh, why am I having trouble spitting this out? Let me try this again, everybody. The simplicity <laughs> of the story is ruined by the stupidity of our characters, and we are told what will happen, and then we see every possible way this plan goes wrong. And that's yeah. what I love about this story is it's not just something goes wrong. Everything, Everything that you could expect wrong. would go wrong in this goes wrong because, of course, it's going to go wrong. It's Murphy's Law uh, written for the big screen. It's beautiful. Yeah. And what I love about this story is it feels like these characters have watched crime movies and TV shows all their life in American culture and then just decide we can do that. <laughs> and it's obviously not as simple or easy as that. Yeah. Yes. That's such a good, that's a great way to compare it. It's like what, what their idea of, you know, the perfect crime is if they, all they've done is watch episodes of CSI and eaten like an entire palette of fruit loops. Mm -hmm. And then they just come out shaken with a sugar rush. It's like, it's it's wonderful to watch it all fall apart like you you can't wait to see how these characters get what's coming to them yeah mm -hmm. um yeah my final thoughts i just want to talk about some of the technical the technical side of this movie yeah. um the cinematography is awesome there are yeah, some gorgeous. great shots um the um the cinematographer does so much like the way that shots are blocked out um they they do so much with so little and mm -hmm. a great example of that is the um is when jerry is walking out to his car and it's just blank white snow and you mm -hmm. just see this little tiny figure walking toward this little tiny car it's very silent and it makes him it reflects just how small his character is mm -hmm he's physically small and he is he is mentally emotionally small yes you know um i found this cinematographer roger deakins yes roger, roger deakins, deakins a very acclaimed cinematographer who yes. just recently won for blade runner 2049 yeah Ooh, very and, nice and uh 1917 i believe he won for as well oh oh yeah absolutely um but yeah, I those those kinds of shots of people moving in this quiet, blank, um, you know, snowy, snowy Minnesota atmosphere. Um, they're they're artful and they have like this twinge of comedy to them that's just uh, that just breaks up the the tense moments really well. And then the other thing that I that I want to talk about is. Um, McDormand, Frances McDormand, I her facial expressions in this movie are so funny. Mm -hmm. uh, not only is her delivery great, um, she's got such a great Minnesota accent where she's okay. Now maybe you could tell me what you see. Could you be a little more specific, doll? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but her facial expression, she'll knit her eyebrows together in response to somebody, and she'll kind of bring her head back with eyes wide during certain scenes. And it's just like, it's so wonderful. It's, it's so funny. Mm. I, I can't, there's no other way to, to say it. I just love the, the facial comedy that she has yeah. going on. Yeah. I love her. And I think there's a very good chance towards the end of this month, we will be talking about another film, presumably 
depending on what happens oscars tonight there's a good chance we'll be talking about another film that she's in this year oh and she's she's a truly amazing actress one of the best out there uh yeah and fargo is really just a special unique film that is simple in its story and evil and even simpler in its execution Mm -hmm. and it is brilliant and that's all we really have to say about it but before we leave we have the great Great debate debate. the great debate Debate. and uh, for everyone who doesn't i still gotta make a really brutal stinger for that where it's like the great debate yeah i know we gotta add some sound effects some some dynamite all that but for anyone who doesn't know what the great debate is branson and i we have prepared questions for the other person to answer live on air neither of here i have heard these questions before and the we are going to get our instant reactions uh to how we're going to answer these questions so i will go first because you went first last two weeks branson yes there is a great line in this movie where francis mcdormand's character is going around and she's trying to get an idea of who the Steve Buscemi character is. And she's like, can you describe him? And everybody who describes Buscemi says, he's a funny looking guy. And that's short, all funny looking guy. Yeah. That's all they really know how to describe him. So my question for you, Branson is describe Steve Buscemi to a talented sketch artist who has never seen his face before. Oh, that is a fantastic question. Um, well, um, first, I want you to imagine a Muppet. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to start with a Muppet. Yeah, um, Just a human, a human version of, uh, or a Muppet version of a human. Next, I want you to add just a whole bunch of wrinkles, especially in the forehead. You need forehead creases going crazy. It's got to look like Gordon Ramsay level of forehead creases. Then what I want you to do, Mr. Sketch Artist, is just pop those eyes out just a little bit um it's almost like uh you want your eyes to be the middle of like you know those skateboard ramps that's like a bowl it's like a bunt pan where it they kind of sink down and then it comes up to a point and then his eyes right there give him two of those bunt pan eyes um and then just give him some hair give him put a little bit of bubba teeth in you know the the classic joke dollar store bubba teeth um put those in and you've got uh steve buscemi in fargo i've always described his eyes as like uh in a cartoon where you're blowing like you're blowing up and you see the eyes like slowly coming out of the socket (laughs) but it's like halfway there before the eyes actually fully come out of the socket Mm -hmm. that's that's steve buscemi's eyes what Mm -hmm. what an amazing man Yes, I really I, one of the I best love, actors, actually. I love Steve Buscemi. He's a very yes. talented actor. He's very funny. He he owns the look. He's sort of like Marty Feldman, in yeah, that he, he like he owns the look. Um, no one can play a Steve Buscemi role better than Steve Buscemi. Yeah, and I don't fully understand what that means, but it it's exactly what it should mean. Yeah, he. <laughs> I just realized he looks a little bit like the Pepe the Frog meme, just a little <laughs> bit. A little it's smaller not, in the it. eyes, and boom, you've got you've got Pepe. Nice. <laughs> All right, um, that was a that was a wonderful question, Ben. I think Thank that's you. one of my favorites that you've asked. Um, all right, my question for you is: If Carl and Grimsrud, uh, the the thugs that are hired to kidnap um, Jerry's wife, yeah. if they were replaced 
with Marv and Harry, a.k.a. the Wet Bandits from Home Alone. Mm -hmm. What would be their crime, and how would they get foiled? So I'm assuming their crime has to kind of be the same that it would be in this story, except you would assume there's a little less murder because... Uh, well, I mean, they never carry guns in the Home Alone movies, because otherwise they would have just shot the Kelly Culkin, which would have been a very different and worse movie. <laughs> but so they seem to be obviously less violent. So I Homicide guess in alone. some ways, like, I guess that makes them more competent than the two murderers in this movie, because they solely wouldn't just get into the t tons of trouble that they get into uh that steve buscemi and the other guy get into in this movie because they just wouldn't kill people and it's essentially that's what brings down their their downfall is they kill like 10 people mm -hmm. so you'd assume they wouldn't do that now i will say i bet you anything is it harry's the taller one and marv's joe pesci i, I think that's right i think that's right it's i think it so is i'm pretty sure marv is joe pesci but I will say that I have a feeling Harry does try to bribe the cop. Like, I do think <laughs> up to that point, that's about the same. Mm -hmm. But after that, you probably feel like they would probably just, like, try, like, getting rid of the woman, like, opening up the back of the trunk and just, like, leaving her somewhere because it's just an easier thing for them. They'd probably chicken out of all of it. So that would probably be my answer. So somehow... These two, the wet bandits slash sticky bandits, are more competent criminals than Steve Buscemi and Peter in this film. Wet bandits and competent criminals is a sentence, are two words that I never, or two phrases that I never thought would be in the same sentence. But if I, you know, if I, that's the yeah. hard hitting journalism you get from Ben and Brancia movie. If I had to choose between the two to commit a crime for me, I'd have to choose. <laughs> the wet bandits i literally would like i think neither way is it going well but at least i don't get accessory to murder like not murder sorry like 10 yeah i'm an accessory to like 10 murders i'm a i'm a psychopath i'm a i'm a serial killer at that point you're you're a serial killer accessory yeah like i don't want that so i'm gonna i'm gonna pick my best chances here if i had to choose two criminals to commit a crime for me <laughs> oh my goodness i think that's a good as good a place as any to uh to close out this episode yes thanks everybody for watching thank you all for watching next week just to give a hint we are going to do a film that here's some trivia for you if you know it it is from the 70s and it is notorious for winning not only best actor but best actress best director best writing and best picture i believe it is one of two maybe three films to ever do that so Dang. with those That's clues i think crown. we should be able to get it but yeah so that is what we are talking about next week have a good week everybody enjoy and we hope you enjoyed this episode take yes. care check us out on uh on our instagrams at yes. bran or at uh <laughs> at, at bind, bind media. underscore media and, and at, at the, the dot beniverse that is correct at yes. the dot b-e-n-i-v-e-r-s-e -E. follow us on twitter and yeah we don't have sure. twitter yeah i do
Well, I have oh, a you do. I, I <laughs> swore off Twitter. I've had enough of that. And then you can look at uh, more podcasts, more reviews on Ben's website, bentothemovies.com. Yes. And we are on Google Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and really anywhere that podcasts can be found now. Send so, us out. Send us to your friends. Pester yeah. them. So, Tell them to listen, please. That's our plugs. Please. And yeah, take care. Adios.